um, for the past two weeks, I think. Um, past two, yeah, two weeks. Uh, um, we took a break from uh, the gospel according to, to Mark. Uh, we are back. Um, we are in chapter chapter 9, verse 14 to verse 20, 20, 29. And the title of today's sermon is Weak Faith, Strong Savior. Weak Faith, Strong Savior. We are going to look at Mark chapter 14, verse uh, chapter 9, verse 14 to verse 29. Before we do that, let me take this time and present it to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Our dear Heavenly Father, our Lord and God, we thank you for this morning. Thank you that your word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, um, piercing to the division of the body, of the, of, of the bone and marrow. Um, it searches our hearts, and as we draw near to you this morning, we pray that our hearts will be searched that we will delight in what your word does in our lives in encouraging us in uh, correcting us in rebuking us that uh, we may be people that are equipped people that live lives that honor you live lives to your glory we pray that you take your word and shape us with it that we may honor you with our lives in Jesus' blessed name we pray amen now our passage um, the, the last time that we we, um, we, we went through Mark. If you remember, uh, Jesus took three of his disciples to the mountaintop, right? The, his disciples are having a hard time seeing and a hard time hearing. Um, and he takes them to a mountaintop. They don't quite understand and believe who Jesus is and what he, he, he came to accomplish. But on the mountaintop, they see Jesus in a way they've never seen him before. They see him transfigured in glory with brilliant clarity. And they hear in a way they had never heard before. In fact, the Father rips open the heavens and declares, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. On the Transfiguration Mountain, we see Jesus in HD and hear him in surround sound the, the the only right response is to worship him and trust him and obey him see on the mountaintop this is so so clear if you've been a christian i think i've spoken a lot about this but i want to talk about it again um, for any period of time you've experienced mountaintop experiences you've had mountaintop experiences maybe it was a camp when you were younger maybe it was at a conference or in your quiet time or in a worship service where the music or the sermon hit you in those moments the glory of jesus christ is as clear as the sky right as clear as day and the mountain and the motivation to to to, to worship jesus and trust him is compelling in that time but when you come down from the mountain and you find things quite cloudy and noisy, they are no longer as clear, they are messy. That's what happened with Moses here. When he came down from the mountain, what did he find? 
he found the Israelites making an idol out of a golden calf. When Elijah came down from the mountain, he encountered Jezebel and Ahab waiting to kill him. And in our passage this morning, when Peter, James, and John come down from the mountain uh, where, where, where they encountered uh, Jesus in his glory, they encounter the scribes arguing with other disciples and a boy who was possessed by a demon. Our lives are like a roller coaster, aren't they? But the call to worship and trust Jesus Christ are as real in the valley as they are on the mountaintop. The God of the mountain is still God in the valley. The God of the day is still God in the night. How do we trust God in the cloudy and noisy world we live in? What does it look like to have faith in Christ in our everyday lives? Well, what does it look like to place our faith in Christ when all about us seems to be going messy, seems to be going out, um, you know, um, out of place and, and nothing seems to be going well? How do we place our trust in Christ in those times? What does it look like to trust Christ and, and take him at his word when we are not on the mountaintops? When we are not experiencing those mountaintops seasons of our lives, when we are going through the valley, when we are going through the desert of our lives? These are the questions our text, our text addresses this morning. Now let me read from verse 14 up until verse 49. Follow me as I read. I read from the ESV um, as we read God's word. This is God's word. Let us hear him. And they came, and when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and the scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, What are you arguing about with them? And someone, and someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and, and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation how long am i to be with you how long am i to bear with you bring him to me and they brought the boy to him and when the spirit saw him immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth and jesus asked his father how long has this been happening to him and he said from childhood and it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit i command you come out of him and never enter him again and after crying out and convulsing him terribly it came out and the boy was like a corpse so that most of them said he is dead but jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he rose 
And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why, do we, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. This is God's word. The topic of our passage this morning is, is belief. Right? I see in these three key statements uh, made by Jesus in this passage. The first is in verse 19. Uh, when he says, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? This verse teaches us about the lack of belief we see in the world. The second statement is in verse 23, when he says to the man, If you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. This verse teaches us that we need to believe Jesus is able to save. The third statement is in verse 29, when he says, This cannot this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. This verse teaches us that we need to believe we are dependent on Jesus for salvation. To divide our time this morning, I want to examine each of these three statements. First of all, we, the, the first statement we see in verse 14 to verse 19, we live in a world that doesn't believe Jesus saves. We live in a world that does not believe Jesus saves. In verse 19, Jesus blets out, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? This verse teaches us that we live in a world that does not believe that Jesus saves. Right? We, we, we see this in the narrative that leads up to Jesus' penetrating statement here. When the three, when the three disciples and, and Jesus come down from the mountain, they find the scribes arguing with the other nine disciples. The, the, then the crowd see Jesus. They are greatly amazed and run up to him and greet him. Then Jesus asks the scribes what they are arguing about with the disciples. It's as if Jesus is saying, if you have something to say, you can say it to me. He's telling them to focus on him, not on his disciples. Then a man from the crowd interrupts. He says, teacher, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that make him mute. It's as if he's confessing this whole argument is about me. It's because of me. He then goes on to describe the way uh, the spirit seizes his son. He basically said the spirit makes his son have Jesus. It throws him down. He foams and he grinds his teeth and he becomes rigid. If you've ever seen somebody who has a serious seizure, you know what it's like, right? I'm sure many of us have seen, have seen that. Uh, that's not to say that anyone who has seizures has a demon. It's simply to say that this demon was causing this boy to have seizures. Uh, but that's not the point of the passage. Uh, notice something here. At the beginning of this dialogue, in verse 17, the man says he, bought, he brought his son to Jesus. In the middle of the dialogue in verse 18, the man says he brought his son to his disciples and they were not able to cast out the demon. At the end of the dialogue in verse 19, Jesus commands the man to bring his son to him. The, the, the point is, if he would have uh, brought his son to Jesus, he would have been delivered. Right? Jesus is able. Uh, he, his disciples were not able to do that. 
that this whole situation leads Jesus to, to shout and, and, and to, to look at the, the, the crowd that was, what, that was surrounding him to say, Oh, faithless generation, how, am I, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Jesus is calling his disciples out here. He, he says they don't have faith. After all the amazing things Jesus has done among his disciples, they still don't have uh, faith. They still don't believe. But, but, but the lack of faith is not limited to the disciples here. You notice that Jesus says, Oh, faithless generation. The, the word generation in Mark can refer to Pharisees and scribes or the crowds or simply the world at large. Sure, there's uh, a lack of faith in the disciples as well. But there's also a lack of faith in the crowds. They are amazed by him, but they don't yet believe in him. There's a lack of faith in the scribes, obviously. Then there's even a lack of faith in this father who has brought his son. But that's going to change, isn't it? That the people in the story don't believe that Jesus saves. That's the problem this text addresses. That the same is true for us today. We still live in a faithless generation. We, we, we live in a world that does not believe that Jesus saves. A, a world that is looking in all directions but Jesus. Ready to believe anything out there except the gospel. I, 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 I like listening to Radio 702. It's amazing how they will bring just about anyone with all kinds of beliefs but they will never bring someone who truly believes what the bible says you, you will hear the 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 the, the dj the the, the, the radio um uh, whatever uh, let me call him a dj <laughs> as uh, the radio person as he, he 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 speaks to these people and 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 you 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 can sense amazement from him and you can sense how he's learning so much from this nonsense uh, but uh, I remember um, um, there was a time when I was talking uh, to this uh, other radio caster and, and, and we were talking about homosexuality and I kept saying, the Bible says, but he, he kept saying, but what do you say? And I said, but the Bible says, I believe what the Bible says. He says, no, 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 don't tell me about that. What do you say? I said, no, we're not going to have a conversation if you're going to do that. Because I believe what the Bible says and what, I, what you want me to say is what the Bible is going to say. So people are ready to believe any sort of nonsense except the Bible. Have you seen how Christians are also delving into reading uh, these uh, astrology things? Uh, they talk about my star sign this, my star sign that. How people are, even Christians go for palm reading and, and so on. Those kind of nonsense. And some Christians go in the dark of the night to Sangomas to, 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 uh, to consult. They are ready to believe anything, especially when things are not going well in their lives. They are ready to go to anything except to place their trust in Jesus Christ. So we see, first of all, that we live in a world that does not believe Jesus says, this is verse 14 to verse 29, verse 22, uh, the, the second point that we see here is we need to believe Jesus is able to save. This is verse 20 to verse 27. We need to believe that Jesus is able to save. 
let's look at now um, verse 23 there. Look what he says. He says, if you can to the man who brought his son, all things are possible for the one who believes. Here Jesus addresses the unbelief of the father. What does this teach us about our faith? Or faith in the valley? It teaches us that we need to believe Jesus is able to save even when we are in the valley. There's um, uh, this phrase in, in a song. It's an old song. It says, even if you're not ready for the day, it cannot always be night. Sometimes we just want to sit in our corner and hope everything else will disappear. But we still have to face reality. We still have to get up in the morning. We still have to do what needs to be done. We still have to find strength in Jesus. We need to believe Jesus is able to save. In verse 20, they bring the boy to Jesus. And when the Spirit sees Jesus, he falls to the ground. The great, the great irony in the book of Mark is that demons see Jesus and know exactly who he is. There's no two way about it. They don't, they don't have to discuss his, his deity. No, it's not something to discuss for them. It's something to, 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 to forcefully submit themselves under. They cannot but submit when Jesus is in their presence. But others struggle to see this clearly. So Jesus asked his father the question, how, how, this father, how long has this happening to him? And the father's answer reveals he still doesn't have faith. He, he starts by telling Jesus that the demon has been trying to kill his son since childhood. He says it often casts him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, listen to this. I, I, I think we've missed this uh, oftentimes. He says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus answers and says, if you can. <laughs> right? He turns it to him. The issue is not whether or not I can deliver the boy. The, the issue is whether you believe I can. Right? All things are possible, then Jesus goes on to say, for the one who believes. Because all things are possible with God, Jesus Christ says, I am the Son of God. The, 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 the question is one of faith here. Jesus' statement teaches us that we need to believe that Jesus is able to save. Now, some take Jesus' words here to mean that if you have enough faith, anything can happen. But that's not what Jesus said here. We, 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 we shouldn't think of this verse in that way. The issue is not the strength of our faith. Please listen carefully um, to, to this. The issue is not the strength of our faith. The issue is the object of our faith. Do you, do you see how there's a difference here? It is not about how, uh, how much faith you are able to muster up in yourself. It is about the object of your faith. Jesus is able. That's why he says, bring him to me. The, the, the question is, is, is whether or not this man believes Jesus is able. Right? And the man's response is classic. He cried out and said, I believe. 
help my unbelief this is the climax of the story actually when you read the story uh, up, up, up to this point he's been talking about his son have you noticed all he's been talking about is his son now he cries out to Jesus it's interesting in Mark it's common for the demons to cry out and confess Jesus is the son of God or son of the most high here this man cried out and said I believe help my unbelief his cry is an expression of faith I believe but you'll notice that it's a frail faith it's a weak faith he says help my unbelief the man has frail faith not strong faith but he has frail faith in a, in a, in a strong savior right the savior is strong salvation is not about us it's it's not about how strong our faith is salvation is found in the object of our faith jesus the christ the son of god it has to do with his ability not our ability there's so many people today who who boast about how much faith they have how much i'm such a prayer warrior how much when I pray, anything can happen. How much when I, what I say with my tongue will happen. So many people boast about that. And you can see that that boast has nothing to do with their confidence in God. Their confidence is in themselves. Our confidence as Christians is not in ourselves. It's not in the fact that I can preach up a storm. It's not in the fact that I can pray out the roof here. It's not in the fact that I, I, I can do those things. It's in the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is our confession, isn't it? The fact that Jesus Christ is Lord. That confession is pet. It is pet. It is deep. When we say Jesus Christ is Lord, we are saying he's sovereign. In other words, he's in control of everything. There's nothing in this world that happens outside of him. There's nothing that happens in this world that, that Jesus Christ overlooked. There's nothing that happens that Jesus Christ cannot do anything about. He is sovereign, he's Lord. We're not saying only he is Lord, but we say, we're not saying only he's sovereign in, in, in the sense of the universe. We're saying that he's in control of our lives. When I say I am Lord, he is Lord. I say I have given my rights to him. I've surrendered all to him. He's in control of everything in my life. He gives the marching orders. He tells me what to do. And I delight to hear from him. I delight to know him. I delight to walk in him. I delight to be known by him. I delight to grow in him. I delight to surrender everything to him, to make his will my will, to surrender my rights so that everything, so I can say and confess with Paul, it is no longer I that lives, but Christ in me. In our men-centered world, this secular world, we, we still like to talk about faith, right? But I wonder if we've come to a faith in faith or to quote Freeland Maria in the, the Sound of Music, that's an old classic, um, where she asked, do we have faith and do we have confidence in confidence alone? Is our confidence in confidence or is our confidence in God? 
our human progress has led us to believe that all things are possible. But what makes the possible possible? Is it our ability or our faith or our confidence? That's not what the Bible teaches, is it? We are called to have confidence and trust in God and, and, and in the Son, Jesus Christ. We are called to have confidence in God's promises. And that's different than having confidence that things will turn out the way we want them to turn out. It's different. It's radically different. In this world, we could go through different trials and difficulties that befall us. Sometimes you might feel like certain trials are unique only to you and not to others. Is it because you don't have strong enough faith that prevents God from working in your life? Is it because of that? I hope not. We, we believe God is able. All things are possible with God. All things are possible for the one who believes. But God has not promised that we will be free from trouble and, and death in this life. God has not promised that life will be a bed of roses when you come to him. God has not promised that life will be free from trials and difficulties and pain. He has not promised that. In, in fact, he promises the opposite. He says, in this world you will have trouble. In this world you will have trouble. There will be trials. You will go through trials that try your faith. Trials that, 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 that remove the carpet under you. Trials that you will go through. You will go through deep waters. You will go through fires. You will go through um, you know, thorns and, and, and everything in this world. But here's our confidence. Our confidence is not that when we become Christians we will not go through trials. It's that when we become Christians and go through trials, he is with us. Right? He is with us. Though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? Is it because I have things around me? No, you are with me. You, your presence is with me. All things are possible with God. God has promised that if we place our faith in Jesus Christ, he will forgive us from our sins and give us eternal life. And God has promised that when Christ returns, he will make all things right. The healing of this boy in our story points to just that. After the man said he believed, Jesus commanded the spirit to come out of the boy and he came out. But then we are told in verse 26 and verse 27, the boy was like a corpse. So that most of them said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. That doesn't mean this boy died and was raised from the dead. It's as if he died and was raised. It's a picture of what the powerful son of God came to do. He came to suffer and die for our sins and then be raised, as the passages on both sides of the story indicate. It's a picture of the salvation that we have in Christ. All who place their faith in Christ's death and resurrection will be forgiven their sins and one day be raised to newness of life. In verse 23, Jesus says all things are possible for, for, for one who believes. But, but I think this statement ultimately refers to salvation. Not to everything working out the way we want it to work out. Does that make sense? Because, because the reality of this text, if, 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 if that text actually meant um, what we think it means, this, we, we could do anything, right? All things are possible, I could fly. There are people that say, you know, my pastor prayed for my car 
and then uh, it had no petrol and it started going uh, those kind of things right i mean this petrol season where petrol is just it keeps going up and up and up i mean i we could just do that right central baptist church driving on empty as if it was full this passage has to do with salvation in verse 10 in chapter 10 the disciples asked jesus who can be saved right chapter 10 verse 26 and jesus says to them with man it is impossible but with but but not with god for all things are possible with god he repeats the same thing jesus is able to do all things but the thing he promises to do is to save those who place their trust in him he doesn't promise to deliver us from the evils in this world right now. In fact, he promises his disciples to, that they will suffer in this world. When, we, when he delivered this boy from an evil spirit, it pointed to a bigger salvation. It pointed to his ability to forgive us our sins and give us eternal life. Only after he returns will death and the devil be finally defeated. I don't have confidence that Jesus will heal anybody that's sick in this life. That might sound strange. I know that he is able, but he doesn't promise that in this life. But I do have confidence that when he returns, there will be no more sickness, no death. Have you actually thought about that passage in Revelation chapter 21? that there will be no sickness and death. What is the implication? The implication in this world is that in this world, there will be sickness, there will be death, there will be grief. We are suffering the effects of sin in this world. Jesus does heal. Yes, he can heal miraculously. But oftentimes he chooses not to. Sounds strange, doesn't it? But we have hope. We have hope that there will be a time when we are with him, when there will be no sickness, no death, no grief, no pain. That's the hope I cling to in the valley of the shadow of death when we are walking through in our lives. I don't claim to have strong faith, but I believe in a strong Savior. I believe, help my unbelief. The problem in this story is a lack of faith in Jesus. We've seen the Father in this story come to faith. But what about the disciples? We see this in the third um, question raised here, or the third key passage. The third key passage is in verse 28 and verse 29. And this is what what we see in it we need to believe we are dependent on jesus to save we need to believe we are dependent on jesus to save and in verse 28 the disciples asked jesus why they couldn't cast out the demon and jesus responds by saying this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer and this teaches us that we need to believe we are dependent on jesus to save it may appear that jesus has changed the subject here from faith to prayer but i don't think he has at all he's still talking about faith even here you, you see prayer is simply faith 
turned to God. One commentator said, prayer is the focusing and directing of faith in specific requests to God. Both faith and prayer testify that spiritual power is not in oneself, but in God alone. And both faith and prayer wait in trust upon his promise to save. Prayer acknowledges that we are dependent on God. In our sin and in our culture, we don't like to be dependent on anyone. We are so prone to reject help when help is needed. We place our confidence in ourselves and not in God. We we don't realize how dependent we are upon God. And that's why we don't pray. In in Paul Miller's book, um, his book on prayer, he says it this way. He says, our dislike of asking is rooted in our desire for independence. Reynard Nebo, a a leading post-World War II theologian, put his finger on the problem and he says this, the human ego assumes its self-sufficiency and self-mastery and imagine itself secure. It does not recognize the contingent and dependent character of its life and believes itself to be the author of its own existence. We don't like being, condi- we, we don't like being contingent, completely dependent on another. The, the little child that, that Jesus urged us to become is completely dependent on dependent on his parents for everything. You see, faith is an acknowledgement that Jesus is able to save. And faith also acknowledges that we are dependent on Jesus for salvation. Prayer is the natural expression of this kind of faith. When Jesus says to his disciples, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer, I think he's saying, did you remember, did, did you did you not remember the most basic thing? Right? You, you can't do the work of God without the power of God. All things are possible with God. God is the one who is able. And we must believe this. But we must also believe that we are dependent on Him. But we need His power. The way we express this type of dependent faith is through prayer. We, we, we plug into the power of God through prayer. Everything we've covered so far has shown us that we need to trust God. It's one thing to trust God while we are on the mountaintop, right? On the mountaintop, we uh, jump excitedly like deers. On the valley, we question God. Is God with me? Why me? God, have you left me? And so on. That's our default, isn't it? But we need to remember that this same trust that we express in God in our mountaintops is the same trust we must express in God in our valleys. The God of the mountain is still God in the valley. Most of our lives are lived in the valley. In this world of conflict and devils and the constant threat of death, That's the arena in which we exercise our faith and trust in Jesus. The most obvious application of this truth is Jesus' call to pray. Do you have faith in Jesus? That's an abstract question, isn't it? But there's a more concrete question in front of us this morning. Do you pray? Do you pray? If you believe that Jesus alone is the one who is able to save and sanctify us, 
then it only makes sense that we would cry out to him in prayer, doesn't it? If we believe that we are completely dependent on him, then it only makes sense that we would get on our knees daily and pray. What does your prayer life look like? Well, that may be the best way to check your spiritual pulse. It may be the best way to determine if you really trust God. But if your spiritual temperature is low, what should you do if your prayer life is a little shorty? In short, we, we need to come to him and see how dependent we are on God. But how do we do that? We, we need a perspective change. Are you the type of person that only prays when you are in trouble? Some would say that that's an indication that you have a weak faith. But I don't know if that's true. I don't think that's true. But the bigger issue is to come to see that we are always in trouble. <laughs> we are always in trouble in this world. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. We are always in trouble of the gospel being undermined by sin, by the devil, by the flesh. We are always in trouble. That's the perspective that we need to change in our lives. We, we always need God. We live most of our lives in the valley, not on the mountaintop. The, the mountaintop experiences are like a taste of a slice of heaven. Then all of a sudden, the valley again. That's what Eugene Peterson says in his book on prayer. I'd like to choose uh, a, a quote from the book and close with this quote. This is maybe the most helpful paragraph on prayer I've ever read. Um, and this is what he says. He says, language is used at many different levels and for many different purposes. The language of prayer occurs primarily at one level, the personal and for one purpose, salvation. The human condition teethers on the edge of disaster. Human beings are in trouble most of the time. But those who don't know they are in trouble are in the worst trouble. <laughs> those who don't know are in trouble are in the worst trouble. Because when you don't know you're in danger and there's danger, you are a big target, aren't you? Prayer is the language of the people who are, he continues to say, prayer is the language of the people who are in trouble and know it and who believe or hope that God can get them out. Trouble, being in the wrong, being in danger, realizing that the foes, uh, the enemies, are too many for us to handle, is the basic provocation for prayer. Isaac um, Singer once said, I only pray when I am in trouble, but I am in trouble all the time, and so I pray all the time. The recipe for obeying St. Paul's uh, pray without ceasing is to always be watchful it's a watchful recognition that we are in trouble we need to come to see our utter dependence on God and his merciful ability to deal with all that concerns us today he didn't spare his only son did he how will he not also with him give us all things we live most of our lives in the valley of the shadow of death but there is hope for us we don't need a strong faith in the valley we don't need a strong faith in the valley a frail faith will do as so long as long 
if you are to remember anything from the sermon, because we don't remember everything right, as long as we have a strong Savior. Amen. Let's pray. Indeed, Lord, we just like that man who says, I believe, help my unbelief. Whenever we face any kind of trouble, we find ourselves shaken, tried beyond what we think we are able to handle. We, we don't even realize that when we are able, when we are in a condition when we are not able to handle it, it is because you're calling us to say, to, to, to depend on you. And so Lord, may we live in faith. May we truly live in faith and this faith be expressed in our dependence on you and our trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.